0: Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Busman. And as I think about this week's conversation with Soul Cycles CEO Melanie Whelan, I think about a question Tim Ferriss asked me the first time I went on his podcast. He asked, If I could put a message on a billboard, what would it be? I said it would be one word. Listen. Listening is a central part of my conversation with Melanie. You can understand why SoulCycle was recently named one of the most innovative companies by the magazine Fast Company as soon as you meet Melanie because you immediately grasp her curiosity and attentiveness. I read that she likes to do rehab shots from Juice Press. And you feel like you've just taken one yourself. You feel that lifted up as soon as you meet her. So let me tell you, I'd just flown back from Europe, was operating on only a few hours of sleep over two days, and then threw back some champagne and birthday cake with Randy Zuckerberg. And after that sugar spike, I needed some rejuvenation. The wondrous part of this conversation is that Melanie took my ears to a new place. I've been interviewing people for decades, and I like to think of myself as a pretty good listener, but Melanie made me think about who I was listening to, and at the end of the conversation, she had me starting to think like a CEO. Come along on the journey, and you will too. First, it's here. My new website with Squarespace has arrived. And I'm so excited to share it with you. After doing the photo shoots and refining the content, I'm so proud to unveil it. It's proof of everything I've been talking about. If you want to put yourself out in front of the world in a whole new way, go to Squarespace.com type in the offer code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, and get 10% off a new domain name or website. If you do, you'll be as happy as I am. And I'd like to thank my friends at ZipRecruiter for making people so happy too. Every day, People who need to fill jobs, go to ZipRecruiter.com, they type in a job description, and with a single click, they get back qualified candidates within 24 hours. Believe you me, not only does that make those companies happy, it makes those candidates happy to be considered and hired. So go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N and get a free trial. It's on the house. You can't get a better deal than that because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman, and my guest today, The CEO of SoulCycle, Melanie Whelan.
1: Ding, 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 (laughs) ding. Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you.
0: We've gotten a chance to talk a little before this. And my first question is... Where did you get your curiosity?
1: That's a great question.
0: I'm watching you, and you're asking all these questions that very few people would ask. And and does that come from your mom, your dad? Did, did it? Where?
1: It's a, a real question around nurture versus nature, right? I'd like to think I've always been a curious person because I can't. Th- Think about a specific example of where that came from. But I was raised and went to school for 12 years with women, with girls. And one of the things that was impressed upon us always was to ask questions, was to raise your hand, was to not be fearful of being judged for your question. And, you know, my mother believed in 1980 when I started school in first grade that surrounding me with women and in a girls' education was going to be what would set me up for success in life. She believed by sort of removing the distraction of boys from the classroom and putting me into this very empowering environment um, that I would not have l- my own thoughts around limitations with what I could accomplish. And I think that space and that belief and the school that I was in really encouraged that kind of thinking.
0: I didn't know that, you had, that there were schools like that. Because, and I'll tell you why. Most, the most curious that people usually are are when they're four years old. And there has been studies that show that as a four-year-old, we can ask up to 400 questions a day to our parents, driving the parents nuts. Wow. And then what happens, they go to kindergarten. And the first thing you're told is, you have a question, raise your hand. And so there's a little buffer put there between the spontaneous curiosity and what you can do with it. And then as time goes by, like you hit middle school, you don't see many hands go up in the air. And then even in some jobs later on, people they may not know the answer to something they they may want to ask the question but they fear what if what if i mm-hmm. ask that everyone's going to know i don't know so they silence it and so f- for you to have this as your bedrock that must have been like fuel for an entire lifetime
1: i think you're Spot on with the four and five year olds now having raised a few of them. The weekends by Sunday night, I always say, with the volume of questions that are coming in and the pace at which they are coming in, surely there must be someone else who can answer some of your questions (laughs) now because I've run out of good and entertaining answers for you. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, being around people that challenge you, and, you know, I have always found that. Great ideas come from everywhere, you know. especially in the seat that I'm in today, looking around the business. The, the world is changing so fast, and the pace of communication has increased so much that it's really, the for us, the team that's out in the studios every day talking to our riders and out in the communities understanding how people's preferences are changing that have some of the best ideas. And as a leader, I think it's really important to stay curious and to keep asking those questions because sometimes you can get in a room like this and look at numbers on a spreadsheet and make decisions that aren't really founded in what people are really saying. So I think that inherent curiosity is something that we certainly try to encourage here. We believe that listening is really valuable when it comes to making decisions for the business.
0: Do you you think that women are inherently better listeners than men?
1: That's a very loaded question. I think there are some people that are better listeners. And you know, we talk a lot here about what good listening looks like. It's not just sitting while someone else is speaking, but it's really actively acknowledging what you hear, playing back to make sure you understand, acknowledging without judging. And that active listening, I think, is a, it's a skill, and it's a skill that can be learned. So whether women are more naturally biased to listening, I do think it's something that over time can be honed if it's something that you want to do.
0: Yeah, I, I know I'm a very good listener. And I'm male, so I didn't mean it in terms of, is, is this a matter of women can do this better? I just wondered if men are so used to, say, put in a position of solving a problem or wanting to solve the problem that the first thing they do is, all right, let me attack the problem without s- taking the time to stop and listen to all the sides.
1: I think women are very social creatures by nature. Women like to talk. They like to listen. They like to be a part of a dialogue, what I have found. And so I think by virtue of that, I think women can sometimes be biased more toward listening. That said, it really is a skill to be learned and honed. Um, And I'm a fundamental believer in the potential of humanity, and I think we can all – I can be better. You can be better. Anyone can, can get better.
0: What mentors did you have as a youth that you still carry your wisdom around in your head right now?
1: So my father was a huge role model for me growing up. He was an entrepreneur, and I grew up in Baltimore, and he started companies in D.C., transportation businesses, messenger businesses, and would commute an hour and a half each way to start these these companies. And I remember him spending time nights, weekends, on vacation, on phone calls with clients when things had not gone right. He would always be the first one to take that call if the delivery hadn't shown up or if the car hadn't shown up because he believed that the customer always needs to be heard. Not necessarily that you can resolve it, you might not have a solution, but if you're able to hear them out, then you will probably be able to affect a positive outcome and ultimately your clients or your customers are your advocates for your business. And so that relationship building and that listening that he carried in how he ran his businesses is something that I absolutely carry with me today um, because I think it's as important, if not more important, now than it was even 30 years ago.
0: What about your mom? What did she pass on to you?
1: So my mother is the consummate multitasker um, and who really instilled the value of hard work and pushing yourself to your greatest potential. She had this great saying that do your best and leave the rest. Angels do no more. And what that <laughs> meant to me was always if I knew I had done my best, there was always more to do. You could always do an extra set of homework or study the spelling words one more time. But if you really knew your best, then it was time to leave it and get a good night's sleep and pick it all up again the next day. And that's something now that I have young kids and I see the pressure and the stress and the connectivity um, that we're putting on these children to achieve, I really try to keep in the back of my mind that, you know what, you're going to try your best. You're going to figure it out the best you can, but then you have to get a good night's rest. That's great
0: advice because so so much of the time, I'm just thinking of my three kids, it's always trying to push them for more and more and more. I can't really remember times when I said, you know, just go get some rest. In fact, now I'm feeling guilty.
1: <laughs> well, don't do that. Just do your best <laughs> and leave the rest. You know, I was I was earlier this week with my high school alumni group as well as my college alumni group, coincidentally, in the same week. And thematically, the same conversation came up in both around the students that are in my former high school and in my college that they are feeling so much pressure around achievement. And they look around and they see what their peers are doing and they see what people are accomplishing in business or in education or in all of these pursuits because the the way the news cycle works and social media works, it's it's all around them all the time. And that pressure is so great that we have a responsibility as parents now of these children to give them that sort of release which I thought was really interesting because I like you. I'm like, come on, you, you. Two plus two is four. You got this. Let's again, again. But sometimes it's that I think quiet encouragement of you worked your hardest, now take a rest. That pretend, potentially is a more important role we can play for them.
0: Was there a moment that you can recall learning to ride a bike?
1: I do actually learning. I remember learning how to ride a bike. My dad taught me how to ride a bike in Baltimore when I grew up, and how old six. I don't know if that's good or bad or what that is, but I remember being on my two-wheeler and him running me down the street and letting go and falling and then him saying, okay, again, and we would run down the street. and, And then the feeling, the elation of finally getting it and being able to ride my bike. And it is something when my daughter, who is five about to turn six, last year we were ready to take her training wheels off and i thought i'm going to create this really special memory for her that my father created with me and Uh-oh. she's going to remember Uh-oh. this
0: Uh-oh. i hear i and hear she, something coming
1: <laughs> she got on her bike and just rode it and oh, it, it's oh man part of me felt so happy like wow she really gets this she can balance that's a a skill at that age which is Remarkable, But what about me? Exactly. I thought we were going to have this moment together. And off she went down down the street in front of our house. And it was such a metaphor for who she is as a child that she just sort of figures this stuff out on her own.
0: And then when she came back, was it a piece of of cake, Ma?
1: Piece of cake. And I don't really like riding bikes. Can we go do something else? No. (laughs) I have one athlete and I have one artist. So... Uh, it's good, good balance. Have they been
0: at SoulCycle?
1: So I can very proudly say. So I have an eight-year-old son, right. and a five-year-old daughter, and I started at SoulCycle when my son was two and a half and my daughter was three weeks old. And so they've grown up here, really, spraying shoes, mopping floors. When floods would happen, way in the early stage of the bu- of the business, before we had big teams to take care of the stuff, they would come with me with boots and you know mop up water. We had a very amazing moment a couple of months ago where my son came and took class with me. He's finally tall enough and can reach the pedals and could finally experience Soul Cycle from the inside of the studio rather than at the front desk. Rather <laughs> than cleaning up the mess. Exactly, so- <laughs> exactly, rather get, than getting ready for the next class. So that was really, really special to see it through his eyes. Like most things in life, seeing them through your kid's eyes, right, is really special. But when he would look down and, and try to catch the beat along with me or I could see him singing along to a song in the class and experiencing that great feeling that our writers feel where you're immersed in music and the pack is pushing together and it's really tribal how we all move in the room. And to watch an eight-year-old having that experience as well was really, really special.
0: What did he say afterward, or did he, could you tell how he processed it?
1: He said he loved the music, that it was really hard, and he was really hungry.
0: <laughs> <That's>, that <laughs> sounds pretty typical. Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned a moment where you took off on the bicycle and feeling that elation. Did you have any idea then that it would lead you toward where you are now?
1: No. I – no.
0: What did you want to do when you were growing up?
1: I dreamed of being an architect. That was my life goal. I had this plan. I loved in high school math and science. They were my two favorite um, subjects. And I wanted to pursue an engineering degree to eventually get a master's in architecture, to design houses and buildings and bridges. And I set myself off on that path because at 17, we know everything, right, obviously. And about midway through my college career, figured out that engineering was not what I was passionate about at all. Why? I'm not sure whether it was all of the hypothetical work we were doing designing things like wind turbines or whether it was just that I found myself falling in love with business through internships and other jobs that I had taken during college. But I recognized that if I had another year and a half to go in school, I wanted to study something that would round my Education out, so that if I came out wanting to go after business, which I did, that I would have the basic understanding of some of the more business-focused uh, classes.
0: I don't. I've never had that moment that w- I'm going to ask you about, where you understood I love business. What 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 is that like? Was there something that happened that you were part of that made you think this is fantastic?
1: I think actually growing up in a home with an entrepreneur really informed that. I think there was always an undercurrent of watching my father build companies, watching how he immersed himself in it, working internships, everything from waitressing, which ultimately is like running your own book of business in a restaurant, through to working in an investment bank, really exposed me to the fundamentals of business. And I just... I think it was a a combination of things over time. The only real aha moment I had was I don't want to be an architect anymore.
0: How did that come?
1: Sitting, honestly, sitting in a dorm room one night, realizing I had eight hours to go to design a wind turbine for a morning class and realizing I don't love this. I thought I loved this and I thought it was laddering up towards something much bigger in the end. And calling my mother and saying, I really don't like this. I think I'm going to add another concentration on and pivot this. And she said, well, if your heart isn't in it, then study what your heart is in. And having that conversation just sort of pivoted the whole thing. I was very fortunate because I went to a university that allows you to kind of design your own curriculum as you go. And so I was able to, midway through my junior year, pivot and do that. That was at Bryn Mawr? That was at Brown. Oh, Brown. Okay. Yeah. Bryn Mawr was... That was my 12 year girl school in Baltimore. Uh, okay, there we go. Yeah. And what,
0: when you get out of college, do you know where you want to go?
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. A, a lot of people who are graduating around the same time as me were going to be bankers or um, consultants or lawyers or doctors. Uh, and I wanted to do something much more entrepreneurial, which is really hard to figure out what that path means out of school. And I was very, very fortunate in that I met a guy who had started a corporate development team for Starwood Hotels, and they had come to campus late to recruit, and I didn't have a job. And they hired me to be an analyst on the corporate development team. And it was a really exciting time to be part of the company because... Overnight, this REIT based in Phoenix, Arizona, had this visionary leader in Barry Sternlicht who acquired the Weston brand and uh, the Sheraton brand and started a brand called The W. And it, this sort of major business had grown up very, very quickly. And they were starting a corporate development function to really think about the brands and the business and extension opportunities. What other categories could we go into? How else could we leverage the common spaces in the hotels with bars and restaurants and fitness centers? So
0: there's a little of the architecture. little bit. Overlap.
1: Look, I always say engineering is a phenomenal path to take because it's all about problem solving. Even if the problem is, how am I going to construct this wind turbine? How am I going to construct this building? Or how am I going to figure out the inventory problem that I have in my retail business? The fundamentals of problem solving and collectively getting to an outcome—you can apply that anywhere. So whether it was architecture or just logical thinking, it was a, it was a really great, really great place to start. So when you
0: started, did you like feel qualified for this, or I mean, do you know what you're doing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing.
0: No idea. No idea what I was doing. Did that, did that make it cool?
1: I think it made it cool. I think it made it very intimidating. I think it made it really exciting. I think that's where curiosity is really helpful, to ask questions, um, to figure it out, to be thrown in into the deep end, which is, I am a big believer in now as a leader, that sometimes you just have to look for great attitude and aptitude and throw people into things before they're ready, because that's the best way that they're going to learn, as long as you give them guideposts along the way and the support that they need, there's nothing more valuable, I think, than on-the-job learning.
0: Is it when you're doing that or how much freedom are you giving them to like almost drown just so <laughs> that they'll struggle and learn the most and how much are you watching over and making sure that they're swimming okay?
1: So I think it really depends. You never want and you never want anyone to feel like they're going to drown or even almost drown. That's a bad feeling, uh, right? Yeah. But pushing you out of your comfort zone is where you really should always be. If something gets too comfortable or it's too easy or you've seen it too many times before you're not growing and then it's time to push into something new. And I think it's a really fine balance between almost drowning and you're being out of your comfort zone and that's where great leaders come in to say, "I know you can do more." I know you can push harder. I know we can try this in a different way. And that's where I think you get great, really great thinking, and people get really excited about that kind of opportunity.
0: Who taught you to
1: lead? I think I'm probably another good example of being pushed in before I was ready, but also being surrounded by really amazing leaders um, and entrepreneurs and mentors that you take pieces from every person that you work for or work with you take the good, you take the not-so-good. I, I don't want to be that person. That's not how oh, I would so want to be really, led. Yeah,
0: that could be, could be really helpful.
1: But you have to view, I think, every relationship is an opportunity to learn in business. And I, like I said, have been very fortunate to work with really great people.
0: I was talking to a guy who's the CEO of the Hollywood Reporter and Billboard, and he was saying he was in college when he stumbled on a billboard and found out that it cost $2000 to like rent the space that the billboard was on and that they could sell the two sides of the billboard for 50,000 and 25,000 so it costs $2000 to get the space and you can make 75,000 from it it's a good deal yeah, he left school. <laughs> that was it for him. <laughs> was was there, did you have moments like that in business where something you saw was amazing and made you just go as fast as you could?
1: I wish I could find that billboard. That sounds pretty pretty good. We could use a few billboards around here. I think meeting the founders of this business was one of those moments for me when I was back at Equinox. So you went
0: went from Starwoods to Equinox? So I,
1: I went from Starwood to the Virgin Group. Oh
0: Virgin, actually. that's right. I'm sorry. No,
1: no. When, when I had some at champagne
0: all. before I, I came. Know. That that's starting a show. And all some right. cake. And some yeah. <laughs> I I thought we'd get on the bicycles and I'd be able to get it off. But
1: We're gonna do that later today. Okay.
0: All right.
1: So I went from Starwood to Virgin And from Virgin to Equinox, my role at Equinox was business development, so new opportunities to extend the brand and the business. And in 2008, when everything changed in the world, um, we took that opportunity to meet interesting people who had either started companies um, that maybe weren't going to make it or interesting companies that we could help. And I believe in life if you hear about something three times, you have to go and try it. Um, or read it or eat it that's or.
0: It's good. T- yeah.
1: It's um, good. Whatever that may be. And I had heard about Soul Cycle so many times. I lived downtown. I was pregnant with my first child. And I went uptown to the first studio on 72nd Street. And I walked in and it hit me very quickly how different it was. You know, there were. Well, what with- were you
0: saying? If I'm seeing that in a movie, what,
1: what was I saying?
0: No, what, 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 what were, if I'm watching you walking into that space for the first time, what am I seeing?
1: Like a tiny version of Grand Central Station. There's the, what we create at Soul Cycle is you've got 60 bikes in a room, you have 60 people who take class, we ride to the rhythm of the music in the candlelight with a great sound system, and an inspirational instructor coaching you to be better tomorrow than you were yesterday. You come out, and the power of this group has pushed you further than you even thought possible. On the other side of the door are 60 people waiting to go in to have that experience. And so what that creates in the lobby is this alchemy of magic where you have endorphins flying from the group coming out and this anticipation from the group that's going in. And so if you picture that, our first studio only had 32 bikes. Now we build them with 60 bikes. 30 people coming out, 30 people going in. Everybody's talking to each other. Buzz, 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 music, shoes, towels, water, everything is flying around the lobby. It's like a little version. The only thing I can think of that has that much crazy energy is like a train station where everyone is is moving around. What happened to me in that space, I went in and I I experienced the class, and it was a phenomenal workout, and it's musical, and it's tribal. The next day, I got back to my office, and one of our founders had written me a handwritten thank you card just thanking me for coming in. And it was this really simple gesture of just thank you, and she put in a, a bag a soul child onesie that I still have today that both my kids wore because I was pregnant and had this experience, and she knew who I was, and she said, thank you. And I realized then, not unlike the billboard, that this was really special and unique. And it has been really exciting to see that now we have 85 studios, we're in 15 markets, we're in two countries, that we continue to deliver that experience in the lobbies of each one of the studios we have. How often
0: do you go to all these different Soul cycles around America, and now I get one is in Canada.
1: Yeah, we have three in Canada. Three in Canada. Okay. So I, as often as I can, is the short answer. We have twenty studios in Manhattan, one in my neighborhood that I live in, one in our office. So I'm in a Soul Cycle studio probably every day, if not multiple studios a day. When I travel, it's the first place I go in the morning is to a Soul Cycle. I'm very fortunate now because we are in 15 markets so most cities I'm going to have a soul cycle but we're opening this year Atlanta, San Diego, Las Vegas, Denver new markets where there is no soul cycle and I'm even more excited now about traveling even more.
0: Okay. We get to scale. <laughs> how how do you scale? What what do you think about when it comes time to build? something much bigger than what exists?
1: The first thing that we did was realize that this is a live experience business. We've always treated the classes as a live production. It's curtains up, curtains down, the instructor is on the podium leading us through this physical, musical, emotional experience. So to produce this experience at scale, we need people, and we need a lot of people. And so what we did first was start creating proprietary Training programs on how we deliver the Soul Cycle experience at the front desk, in the studio, in the market, in the communities. And then we started training everyone on how we do that. And I think the way that we've been able to do that at scale is we provide what we call freedom within a framework. So we will give you training on the basics of how we lead class, on how we run check ins, on how we deliver feedback. But then we empower our teams to lead those experiences in a way that's authentic to them. So we believe wholeheartedly that beyond anything, we're a culture of yes. We think there should be a yes in every interaction with a rider, with a colleague, that we are going to find the yes for you in that moment. If you don't get into class, we're going to prioritize you for next week in that same class. If you can't find the piece of retail you want, we're going to find it for you and get it into your hands. We are going to make sure that you leave our studios feeling great about your experience the people that work in our studios outside of New York where we are not, they're going to know much better how to find that yes for our riders than any training or framework is going to give them. So we really want to make sure that people have the freedom to do the job in the way that's the most authentic to them and the most connected to the rider. How
0: many of those people are you hiring? Do you, do you interview a lot of people for hiring?
1: I do. We are hiring a lot of people um, into our HQ office. I don't spend as much time in the field anymore, but I do interview most people that are coming into the HQ office.
0: Do you have certain questions that you like to ask? Or is there one question that... Is was a M- Melanie question?
1: I have a series of questions that I like to ask. By the time a candidate gets to me... The person has been fully vetted for experience and their expertise and their unique value to the role or to the business. And so what I really try to discern is, is this someone who's a naturally positive person, who likes to be the best part of people's days and can really live up to that culture of yes? Are they someone that can inspire other people that will collaborate throughout the organization and adapt because things change all the time? And so if you're too linear or structured... um, It may not be a great cultural fit. Um, And then lastly, I want to know what questions they have for me. Because if they're really passionate about the role, (laughs) um, I want to know how they're thinking about the business, where they see the greatest opportunity, and where they, if they want to know what I'm thinking about as well. Um, So I really try to make it much more of a two-way conversation, never an interview, to really just understand who someone is and what motivates them. Do people come in nervous? Oh, I don't think so. I'm a pretty
0: relaxed person. Well, sometimes people can come in nervous and you can make them relaxed. I mean, I don't know if you're, like, when you, when you look at somebody who's coming into the office for a job, if you can t- tell that they really want it and make a good impression. Or would, would they have been vetted to that point so that anybody who's going to come into your office is going to be someone who's going to be comfortable in your office?
1: I hope that whomever it is is comfortable and excited more than anything to be here, and excited about the opportunity we have, excited about whatever the role is. We have a pretty warm and energetic office, and so when I see candidates sitting waiting for interviews with anyone, if I'm walking to a meeting, I always just try to say hello and introduce myself to put them at ease because you just want people excited.
0: We got to pause now. Because Kevin, the manager, tells me it's time to talk about the people who make all this possible. Our sponsors. Man, you should have seen my face. The first time I looked at my new website on Squarespace. The photos are popping off the page. The messaging is so clean and crisp, I'm probably going to get a month's worth of new speaking gigs when people see it because it's going to make me look brand new. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I was an old school guy. I didn't even have a Twitter account until recently, and now I'm tweeting every day. But this Squarespace page... This is the topper. It's linking all my social media in the same place. And it makes me excited to go out and take some photos for Instagram. Can you believe that? Me. Squarespace is turning me into a 21st century man. I'm so happy. Thank you, Squarespace. The journey has just begun And it can for you, too. Just go to Squarespace.com, type in the offer code Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, and get 10% off your next domain name and website. You're going to love it. Oh, oh, oh. And I got to pass on an urgent message to a lot of companies out there. Just picked up Fortune magazine. Cover line was everything you need to know to land your dream job. And there was this kind of cutout on the cover that said that the 100 best companies to work for had 160,288 job openings. Open the issue and you find this long list of companies. Shows you their headquarters, the number of employees, and the number of job openings. I'm telling you, some of these companies have thousands of job openings. And all I could think was, what are they waiting for? To fill all those openings, all they got to do is go to zippergruder.com, type in the job descriptions, and within 24 hours, they'll have qualified candidates. I'm telling you, The list of these companies goes on and on from pages 55 to 78. What are these companies waiting for? Just go to ZipRecruiter. Problem solved. Done. How can they not know? And we're back. Is part of... Soul cycle, just feeling comfortable in the tribe, like whether you're coming if I'm coming through the door just to ride for one time, you, you're gonna make me feel, yeah, you belong here or do I need to really belong here to feel that?
1: No, I we really believe that we're a hospitality company first. What we create in that room is personal transformation. We create a space for you. To disconnect from technology for 45 minutes, to listen to great music, and to move to the rhythm of the music on a bike. Because it's very experiential, we want to make sure that from the minute you walk in the door that you feel like you're home. Whether it's your first ride, your fifth ride, or your hundredth ride, it all starts the minute you open that door to the studio.
0: How much is disconnecting from technology? How important is that to what you're doing?
1: It has always been part of our experience that this is a place where you leave your phone in the locker and we don't put numbers on a board and this is something that you lose yourself in. It's immersive because it is musical and our sound systems are constructed to surround you. And when you move together, there is something very, almost like a moving meditation together when you get into the pack and you're riding together. So it is an important distinction for us that this is around the collective achievement and not individual performance.
0: So you go in the first day, and you get this feeling, and then you get a thank you note. Do you know at that point, yeah, this is it? Or do other things have to happen to get you to your current position?
1: Oh, that that was in 2008. So that was almost 10 years ago. So lots of other things had to happen to get to this point. Um, but I think it, the chemistry and the alchemy of what was at 72nd Street in that special studio was something that was very, very resonant and I think born at, at the exact right time in the world. People need a place to connect to each other. People need a place to disconnect from technology People are looking for community, I think, more than ever, and a safe place to go, a sanctuary. And SoulCycle provides all of that. So
0: I come through the doors. I've never been through the doors before. And I get on a bike, and maybe I'm not in such good shape. I still can feel... Like, completely at home, or am I going to start, like, gasping after a, a, a while?
1: So people say this to me all the time. I have to get in shape before I start working out, which to me is so counterintuitive, right? <laughs> at Soul Cycle, yeah. cardiovascular exercise is proven to be something that can increase your life, right? We all know it's good for us, and there are only a handful of ways to get cardio, Indoor cycling happens to be one of the safest and most efficient ways to get your cardiovascular workout. And what we do is musical, and it's fun, and it's completely customizable through the resistance knob. You dial it up or down as much as you want. And we do an arm series about three-quarters of the way through the class with hand weights, and you can choose any weight that you want. So I always say to people, even if you're new to fitness or if you're new to SoulCycle, just come in, clip in in a back row, And let the music take you away. Even if you just sit in the saddle and slowly pedal your legs, you're going to feel great because you're listening to music with other people and an instructor inspiring you or giving you a lesson or perspective from his or her point of view for 45 minutes. The next class, maybe push a little bit harder. The next class, maybe try different weights. The progression of it is completely natural. But because we ride in the dark to candlelight, truly everyone feels welcome.
0: Is there somebody who is like the longest member of the tribe?
1: (laughs) We have many riders who have been riding with us for 12 years. The company started on the Upper West Side in 2006, and we have riders that have been riding with us in that studio for that long.
0: And then you mentioned bringing your kids to uh, pick up mops and and (laughs) do whatever needed to be done. Like, How did you eventually come in to the company and end up bringing your kids and setting off to become CEO? So in
1: 2011, when I was still at Equinox, right. um, running business development, the Equinox made a strategic investment into SoulCycle and acquired a majority interest in the business. And at that time, SoulCycle had seven studios here in New York we had about 22 people sitting behind our laundry room in Tribeca, and I came over to help build and lead and run the operations of the business. And so, you're working out
0: of a laundry room,
1: we were. It was great. the The fun thing about the laundry room was that it shared an HVAC system with the studios. So when classes were going on and the temperature dropped, we were we would all sit in snuggies, you know, those blankets that you can put your arms through oh, yeah. because it was freezing. And then we really didn't have a way to cool it off hours. So it was a very um, startup feel, I should say. Very, Very, very cool. Plywood floors, the whole thing. So we just started at the beginning, really, at that point, figuring out how we could start to grow in a way that we knew we had opportunity to do. We started working on the real estate pipeline. We started working on the training, as I talked about, Um, One of the most important things we did was we got really aligned on what our core values were and what they were going to be as a business. So we knew what we stood for. So when we started hiring, we knew what we were looking for. That culture of yes idea, this idea of showing gratitude, these are part of our core value definition.
0: Do you have to interview yourself in order to get those core values? How, How do you find
1: them out? We spent a lot of time talking about it what makes us unique, who do we want to be in the world for our riders, who do we want to be for our staff internally, what is going to hold us accountable to doing the best work that we can, and that's how we came up with the 10 core values. So one of our core values is we get dirty, and what that means is there's no job that's too big or too small, and we're all willing to do all of the jobs. And so when the phone call comes in, we have a burst pipe in the West Village studio, I'm going to be there because we get dirty. And that's part of our our core values. It was really helpful in bringing people onto the team. We really know what we look for. And now when we interview, we divide up the core values. And as you go through your process, people along the way are behaviorally interviewing you to understand if you align with those values.
0: I walk, to say I walk in and I I start to become a member of the tribe, am I going to learn a lot about women? Because you're talking about this place of connection between the people who are coming in, the people who are coming out. Because I'm very curious to be speaking with a lot of women now. It just seems like a time that we've never really had before. And so I want to try to understand them.
1: So I think one of the more interesting things about Seoul is that over the course of the day, a studio can feel entirely different. So at 6 and 7 o'clock in the morning, the riders that come in, we call them our roosters. These are typically type A, hard charging, in and out. They want to get their workout and sweat in before they go to work, riders. A little bit later in the morning, you'll have women that come in after drop-off, more tribal community that may spend a little bit more time in the lobby okay. socializing I with each pick other my
0: spots and,
1: right. and then in the evening it will also feel different because you have younger riders that are coming to us instead of going out they're going to meet at soul cycle and then they're gonna have a juice or a coffee afterward um, and we also have a big what we call our sweat working program for corporate and client entertaining now that comes into the evening. So really, you know, every one of our studios feels very unique and over the course of the day it can feel very unique depending on where it's located, what city it's in, what instructor is teaching, what music they like to play. So I'd like to think that you can learn about humanity in the lobbies of our studios. Great answer. <laughs> you made me want <laughs> to come <you>. in. <laughs> well, that's my whole goal here, is to make you want to come in. in. Did, did working at,
0: at Starwood, did that give you something uh, to to make you want to bring guests in, or was that always inside of you?
1: You Looking back, I can tell a pretty linear story that I think actually happened by accident, which is at Starwood, obviously, it's a hospitality company with a lot of great brands that have different value propositions for different segments of the market, I worked on the team that started Virgin America, the domestic air carrier for the Virgin Group, which was all about how to bring uh, hospitality back to air travel. And then at Equinox, ultimately, that is an experiential business as well that's all about membership and community and hospitality. And so in every experience that I've worked through, it's always been rider first, customer first, flyer first. And that lens, I think, is something that I learned really early on from my dad, but is carried through how I've thought about all of these different. You know, I
0: skipped over Richard Branson. Did you have you gotten a chance to meet him? And what did you take from him?
1: I I have met him um, a couple of times. I've taken a, a few things from him. I think my favorite story of working at Virgin was when we were just starting the airline. I was meant to meet him to give him an update on a couple of key projects that we were working on, and he came to the meeting an hour and a half late. And I couldn't believe that he was an hour and a half late and obviously was so worried about what had happened or where he was. And what I learned that evening was that when he flies around the world, and typically on a Virgin Atlantic plane, and would land in the city, he would first take the cabin crew out for drinks or for a meal because <laughs> sense. he really felt like these were the people on the front line delivering the experience and he wanted to thank them for that. And this was before mobile phones were what they were and so the, the notice giving wasn't really part of the whole experience, but um, when he said that to me that night, it really framed a different way of thinking about business, which is staff first, because your staff takes care of your customers, and your customers ultimately will take care of your shareholders. And this inverted pyramid of how to frame prioritization and leadership was something I really took from him.
0: What does somebody who is starting a business, what should they know right off the bat? What's the first step
1: They should know that it's going to be really, really hard, that starting a business is all consuming and the most exhilarating and exciting thing that you can do, but also be ready for the challenges and come armed with relentless optimism and positivity about your idea because that is what will see you through some of those long, long days.
0: Okay, so we start with optimism. What's my, <laughs> and that's my seg- all you need. All I need is optimism. That's all you need. We- I think I need a little more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I, I, I've always worked for companies, and now I'm starting out on my own. So I'm, I'm wondering, for one person who's starting a business, how to think.
1: Well, you need to start with what are you trying to accomplish, right? What is the unmet need? Where is it that your unique proposition comes in? And what is ultimately the business model? I think sometimes that takes a backseat these days is what is the path to profitability around the business model? And really having a clear vision on what you want to build and then what you stand for and how you're going to get there. I think just starting sometimes is what you need to do, and you're going to learn so much along the way. And the vision, as you articulated in the beautiful PowerPoint deck, is probably not going to come true exactly how you thought it was. But if you really do start with that void in the market and what the business model is going to be.
0: So it sounds almost like coming into SoulCycle on the first day and you get a seat in the back and you just start pedaling.
1: Yeah, I think the expression is it's progress, not perfection, something like that.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put that one in my pocket. And then as I progress is there are there things that I should be looking at like already I could see mistakes that I made because I I, I just look, oh I love to do this and so I figure out a way to work at it as opposed to what what you're saying is understanding the economics behind it. Well thats that is that something that most business people will look at the economics first, or do people just jump into their passion?
1: I I think everyone is different. I think there are entrepreneurs that are very business-minded, that have a very clear view on value proposition and economic model. I think there are others that have built massive companies with that. I mean, look at Jeff Bezos, right? He didn't really have a clear path to profitability in the beginning, and look what he's built. It is all paying fruit now as the company is profitable and has reached massive scale, so I think there's different ways to approach it, but I think the one unique element is just making sure that there is an unmet need that you're trying to serve and that you have something that is serving that need. And that, like I said, there I'm sure there are a lot of pivots in that Amazon business model over time, but he had a pretty clear vision on what he wanted to build. So it,
0: it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about SoulCycle in that you can just pick up a heavier weight the next week or be flexible and... Do your exercising in the best way for that day. It almost sounds a little, a little either too simple or <laughs> too much champagne.
1: <laughs> or cake. I think or it's cake. the icing that's oh, gone it, to It was your the head. sugar
0: that did it, huh?
1: Look, a few other things I would say I've learned is surround yourself with really bright people, people that are brighter than you and experts in things that you're not strong in to really think about the downside in everything before you make big moves and to not be afraid to be challenged, whether by a mentor, an advisor, an investor, or someone on your team, because that's where you're going to get the best thinking. Um, And that's sort of the, the, the toolkit as you're climbing the mountain after the vision that I think has served me well. And I think What I enjoy now the most is working on a team where there are people much smarter than me around the table asking really good questions. And together, through that active discourse, we're coming to, I think, good solutions. Do you find yourself
0: looking for young people to mentor you in a way because they know their surroundings better than you do?
1: Yes, um, earlier this year, I identified a millennial mentor because I realized that that was a segment of the population that I didn't really understand. And getting perspectives from all kinds of diverse backgrounds, whether age or um, community or upbringing or education, I think is really important, especially for a brand like ours that really is a, around broad community impact. You know, We want as many people as possible to come through the door. We believe that we can create real change through this personal transformation model that we operate. And so in order to do that and to really make sure that a marketing campaign is resonant I want to get different people's input on that because they'll bring different perspectives to that. and that Again, I think that's where you get the best thinking.
0: What have you learned from your millennial mentor? Is there one piece of advice or counsel that
1: you grasped? So I think across the board, what we are all grappling with as humans is this notion of time. We don't have a lot of time and we have a lot of choices of how we spend our time. And with social media and technology, we're all on our devices a lot more than we should be. And so what I really try to understand from her, as well as from my parents, as well as from my peers, is how they're making choices of how to spend their time, and ultimately how they're making choices of how to spend their money in that time. Because people ask me all the time about competition, and how do I think about competition. And I always say, I think our one of our biggest competition is Netflix, because the programming is so awesome. And it's so easy to watch the next episode or binge the whole thing, and then you're going to sleep through your alarm, and you're not going to come into Soul Cycle. And then what's going to happen next? Oh, no. What's going to happen is we're going to come to your house, and we're going to find you. We're going to bring you back. But the truth of it is that we are so time-starved. So what I talk with her, my millennial mentor, about is how she's choosing to spend her time and how she's choosing to spend her money and what it's important to her. And it's interesting because it's different than when I was her age, and it's different certainly than who I am today because I've got two young kids. Um, So I think it's been really, really insightful.
0: Bingo. That's what I needed to hear. I have to be thinking about people's time. Always. Well, that may seem obvious to you, but it never occurred to me. Uh, I don't know if, if this applies, but in my life, I've always been just trying to do what I love to do. I I wasn't really thinking about how other people would take it. If I was going off to write a story or interviewing somebody, wow, I get to sit down with Muhammad Ali and then I write about it and it goes out. But I was never thinking about the time in somebody else's day that they had to read that or where they would read it. And it's it really is a whole different way of thinking for me. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. That's great. <laughs> That's great.
0: How does time apply in a soul cycle session? How did you determine like the classes are all the same amount of time? like how did how did was that figured out?
1: So we have different formats. Our core soul cycle class is forty five minutes, right. We have a Soul Survivor class that is an hour. We just launched a new class called Soul Activate, which is also an hour. And what Soul Activate does is mixes really hard pushes with very intentional recovery to bring your heart rate up and down. Because we recognize that our riders, who have been riding with us for years, were looking for a way to cross-train and to get stronger, but also to get more results out of a class that does this high-intensity interval training. And what's so interesting, I think, about Activate is the metaphor of overperformance and then intentional recovery is really how we're living our lives now. We run really, really hard, and then we have to take a break. And then you run really hard, and you need to take a break. And that kind of athletic training, I think, applies to how we need to think about our time as well. You're going to do all the travel that you're doing and the interviews, but then you need to make sure that you have time for yourself to recover. This,
0: I'm wondering what's going to happen. I'm going to go into Soul Cycle and I'm going to do this stuff. And I'm going to wonder, I'm wondering like what impact it's going to have on my life. And I'm going to report back to you.
1: I hope that you will. Can I tell you one story? Sure. So, yesterday we met with a company, big company. And they were pitching us on something. And the gentleman that opened the pitch said, I sold my business three years ago into this big company. And I was lost for a minute. And I went to SoulCycle. And I started riding. Now, this gentleman, I would have to assume, is in his 60s, has, has had this great career, sold his company, top of the world. And he said he found himself in SoulCycle. He now rides seven days a week. He rides front row. He will only ride bike seven. (laughs) What? Wanted to tell me all about Monday at noon when we release a week's worth of our class inventory, where he is and how he stands and how he gets bike seven. And it was so rewarding. I mean, this is what really gets me excited to hear stories like this of people who think they know everything. They've had all the success in their life. They have everything working in their favor. And yet something was missing, just a little something was missing that they didn't even know. And then to find that at cycle where he said he now has new friends, he's eating differently, obviously he's exercising seven days a week, and he's reached a new level of potential that he didn't know possible.
0: Is there something about going into the darkness? Because like, you're doing this in dark with candlelight, right? What, what is it about the, the darkness that uh, helps, well, I guess if you're in darkness, you find the light. That makes sense.
1: I like that. That's very good. It's true. It's
0: pretty simple.
1: It's safe. To your point of, can you be part of the tribe Right. the first day you walk in? Of course you're going to feel uncomfortable. It's something new. We're all uncomfortable with new environments. But if I can clip you in, make you feel like I know you, welcome you, and then turn off the lights and just let you hear the music and roll out, you're going to feel safe. And I think that's what's really important about the darkness. And so if, if
0: I do this for like two or three months straight, will I be a different person?
1: I think that's up to you. Some people do just come for the workout. Other people stay for the breakthrough, stay for the community, stay for the change. It's really up to you.
0: We're going to find out, and I'll be in touch.
1: I can't wait to hear.
0: I want to thank you for these observations. It really, a lot of things are clicking in my head now. I'm going to leave. I'm actually going to leave here a different person. I don't think like a business person, so I need business people to explain how a business mind works.
1: Right. But you think like an engaged, listening, thoughtful, creative, entertainment person, and that's your superpower. Stick with your superpower.
0: Oh, so don't, don't go the other way. I need to find somebody who's going to think about that stuff. But now I'm curious. <laughs>
1: Well, that's what makes you great.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it was your curiosity that made this great. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. We will see each other again.
1: Hopefully on a bike.
0: And hopefully I will be a different person because of it. (laughs) All right? Cheers.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Time to wrap it up with thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this podcast and enabling me to put out my new website. It really makes a difference. I'm talking from personal experience here. Almost every day I get emails from people who tell me they rely on Squarespace. Got one yesterday from the personal coach, Pat Becker. She's been using Squarespace for years. There's a reason, and you can find out that reason by going to squarespace.com and using the offered code FUSSMAN, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, to get 10% off a new domain name or website. Trust me, you will be euphoric. And I want to thank ZipRecruiter for getting behind this podcast. After Kobe Bryant won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short, I looked at my Twitter and noticed that ZipRecruiter had tweeted out my podcast with Kobe, which explained how that Academy Award came to be. It's great to be working with companies that appreciate what you do. I know the folks at ZipRecruiter. These are people who are committed to showcasing the best, and the algorithms they've got are the best. So if you need to hire... Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, type in the job description, and within a single click, you'll have qualified candidates in 24 hours. It's the smartest way to hire ZipRecruiter. Well, that about wraps it up want to say a few thank yous. You will never hear me do a podcast without thanking Tim Ferriss for getting me into this in the first place. I have never felt so comfortable doing something in my life. Tim was completely right, and I'm so glad he pushed me to do it. Also want to thank Becky Katz, who set up this interview with Melanie. Did a great job. Made it smooth and easy. And then we've got our audio take on site, Julian Weller. I love people who can do audio. And of course, we've got to thank Kevin the Manager
1: for being Kevin the Manager.